Welcome back to another episode of the Spartan Hoops podcast. I'm your host, David Klein, joined here today by my co-host, the OG in the house, Dan Hodgman, at Soldier on Twitter. What's going on, my man? It's basketball season again. I can't complain. I'm happy. I'm happy. Let's do this. Ah, okay. So recording here on a Sunday, the Champions Classic is two days away. I brought you in because I wanted to hear some of your extended thoughts on the roster. We haven't gotten your take yet on kind of what we're looking forward to this season for Michigan State. I want to maybe dip in a little bit into some of the exhibition play that we got to see, and then primarily we're going to be discussing the Kansas matchup today. So I'm going to start with just a broad question for you. What do you think you're most excited about for this particular season as we're looking to turn the page on what was a pretty awful one last season? I mean, one of those things for me is like just a more solidified guard play, um, especially at our one. I mean, last year that was one of our Achilles heels. We tried a little different, you know, a couple different experiments just didn't work. And we found the season with that, that we, I guess, ran into. And this year we've got what's in my mind, two really strong uh, starting uh, starting guard and a, and a backup guard in AJ Hallgard. And bringing in Tyson Walker, I think, is kind of the maybe perfect cure for what we ran into last year, a guard who is quick off his feet, can attack, smart with the ball, and as a playmaker, a natural point guard, too, who can, who can push it on the break, um, something we didn't really see that much of last year. And um, I think for me, that's what I'm most excited about. Like, that's a, a Michigan State staple, strong guard play. We didn't really see a lot of that last year. Uh, now it seems we're kind of coming back into that form. So hopeful for what's to come this season in that regard. I think we can both agree that it's much improved. I think just even seeing the brief two exhibition games, the point guard spot is just in such a better spot than it was last year. I think having a full offseason for A.J. Hogard was obviously a huge uh, you know, trampoline for him to be able to spring up and have a much better season. He cut down his body weight. He looks much better conditioned. I thought he just the way that he's moving out there on both sides of the floor is really encouraging. Ultimately, I think that what we've seen is a little bit of a reserved, at least scoring version of Tyson Walker. I listened to some of the press conferences and after the GVSU game, Izzo had alluded that he would have liked to see Walker take a couple more shots. He hasn't taken a three in two exhibition games. He's only scored, I think, four points each game. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Maybe he had six the first one. Uh, Six assists last game, zero turnovers, four steals. I think he's been playing maybe somewhat of the role that he just wants to show the staff that he's trustworthy, which we know, you know, that's probably been harped on him. Take care of the ball, take care of the ball, take care of the ball. But how do you see this point guard spot ideally working out, even though both look to be able to contribute? How would you like to see maybe the minute allotment shake out? And what do you think ultimately if Michigan State's going to reach their ceiling, who needs to be the guy this year? I mean, ideally the guy needs to be, Walker. And I I think he needs to be hitting on the things that you just mentioned in terms of some of the kind of feedback and things we saw the first two exhibition games. He has to be more aggressive and he has to be looking for a shot a little more than he did against Ferris and Grand Valley. But I I mean, I think we've talked about it before. Some of the transition now coming into, uh, you know, from a a lower major school to the Big Ten, it's going to take some time. But for Michigan State to reach their ceiling, he needs to be taking up uh, a good allotment of those minutes at the one, and he needs to be playing as if he, um, you know, is looking to score the way he did um, when he transferred in from Northeastern. Um, that's not to discredit AJ Hogard at all. I mean, I think he's going to bring uh, everything you want in a backup point guard and probably more. I mean, some of the sequences he had against Grand Valley, he was out there playing as if he wanted to, he was playing for a starting role. He was aggressive on defense. He was jumping passing lanes. He made some strong and tough finishes. So I can't complain with A.J. Hogard, you know, uh, coming off the bench and getting a good allotment of minutes. But I think at the end of the day, you you have to look at Tyson Walker kind of getting most of those or at least in crunch time minutes. I mean, if he if he can cement, I think, chemistry, especially when it comes to like the pick and roll, pick and pop, I think he's going to be a lot more deadly than what we saw the first two exhibition games. And you just got to grow into that. All right, give me a minute allotment, though. You said you said both. You kind of danced around it. What do you want to see ultimately? End of the season, how many minutes should Tyson Walker be playing? I would like to see Walker around 25, 28. Yeah, that's where my head's at as well. I think somewhere between 25 to 28 minutes. He's got to be the guy that takes the bulk of them on. 
Uh, Hogard's going to be a great contributing piece to the season. I think that it, it should really be encouraging because we haven't had a backup point guard in a while, as you know I've alluded to on previous podcasts. It's a big deal to have two guys that you feel comfortable with. I just think ultimately the staff has got to start leaning on Walker more. No better time than the present because he's got a he's going to have his hands full against Kansas. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but I agree with you generally. I think that that is a very encouraging part of it. The second part, you know, which I've touched on previously, but I just think that the shooting is going to be so much better for this particular team. You look at what they, you know, remove from the attrition with Langford and Watts. You place that with Brown and Christie. I think you got to like what's on the wing for this team. I just everyone seems to probably have a more consistent and clear role with the attrition that we've seen come from the roster and with some of the new additions. Um, five spot. I think that the first little concern that I had, maybe game one, was at that spot. Matty Sissoko, to me, looked like the best of the three centers when we played. And obviously, Bingham had a really nice performance against, again, G- GVSU. But I think that that was good for his mental just makeup heading into this game because he's got a really tough matchup against David McCormick. But he finishes with 10 points, seven rebounds, and six blocks. I think that he has a chance to probably lead the conference in blocks this season. I was looking back at it. I think it's a it's a strong possibility that he does, especially if he plays closer to 20 minutes per game like we expect him to do. What did you think just generally from the, the center spot and the two exhibition games that we saw? Any cause for concern for you? Are you still just kind of in a wait-and-see mode? And would you agree maybe that that's the weakest position on this team? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that's shaky is what I would say at best. And I would be a lot more comfortable saying this is, I could treat this as a wait and see moment, but we've been saying that about Bingham for the last couple of years now. And we're at the point in Bingham's career where him reaching or at least getting as close to his ceiling as he can, like now's the time. And so I really did enjoy seeing him bounce back from what I thought was a subpar performance against Ferris. Um, did really well against GVSU. I mean, six blocks, 10 points. Um, his shot's looking a lot better. He's got a smoother stroke. I would like to see him, you know, utilize more of those, more of those like post hook moves, uh, perhaps, you know, doing a little more playmaking towards the basket. Um, but I think it, you, you mentioned this in a tweet the other day, which I really like. It's no longer a point of whether or not he's going to do this game in and game like each game it's he has to i think for our five spot to be successful because i just don't see either marble or sissoko at this point um being able to take on more of his minutes if he's not you know able to reach that potential i do think our five spot lives and dies with bingham um but i also think that sissoko didn't really give us any bad minutes in the first two exhibition games he really showed out there I think against grand valley two blocks a few points he had some rebounds uh, Marble's been on and off for me. I think there are times where he spaces the, the, the floor well offensively. He knows how to find uh, kind of that mid-range for himself, but there are also other sequences where he got in the way. Uh, there was a play against Grand Valley, I believe, where he really did not clear out for Malik Hall and ended up turning the ball over. And then we know defensively, like his footwork just isn't there yet, and he's going to get overpowered by stronger uh, big men. Um, so I could say it's a wait and see process for maybe Marble and Sissoko a bit more, but for Bingham, it, it, it has to be now. To me, it kind of feels like most of the rest of the roster is heading in the right direction. And we're just all kind of holding our breath a little bit on the center spot. Because if you look at what Gabe Brown did the first game, you know, leading the team, I thought he ran the floor well, he knocked down shots. We kind of saw that again, the second game. Max Christie, I think it's probably safe to say, will end up the leading scorer for this team. He looked really, really good in the two games, and I get that the competition level is is not very high. But I think in terms of you know teams when they're when they're squaring up and looking at him, and you're looking up and down the roster, there's a nice balance to the roster. There's they're shooting on it, and he's a guy that will eventually have to be able to take some of these crunch time shots and take some of these these you know late clock situations when they need a bucket. I think he can eventually become that. Does Michigan State go through some ups and downs while he's figuring that out? Probably. It's not ideal leading on, you know, that type of freshman to be able to lead your team if you want to be a top five team in the conference this season. But I think at the same time, it's really exciting to think what he can be and where he is at least already. And we'll we'll again get a very good showing of that against Kansas. They have very good wing defenders. They're a team that is going to be hawking him for sure. 
And if he can still get his and do it in an efficient way, I think that's been the most exciting part. He's been efficient in all his outings. He's shooting like 50% from the floor in both, both the games that he played in. Grabbed a bunch of rebounds the first game, which I, I did not expect him to do. He looked longer defensively than I kind of thought he was going to be and better on that side of the ball. To me, he's probably already got the nod as maybe the better wing defender out of him and Brown. I just Brown is just so stiff when he moves. I think there's a little bit more fluidity to Christie, so I think he can take on some of that role. Uh, but really, it comes back to it, and you're looking at, okay, the point guard spot's going to be better. The wings are going to shoot better, and Hauser and Hall are going to give you some nice stability at the power forward. What are you going to get out of the center spot? And if we get the Bingham that we saw there, like we don't need him to go 10, 7, and you know, 6. But if you could give me you know, 7 or 8 points a night, 6 or 7 points a night, you block three shots a game and you grab, you know, six, seven boards like that is all they need. They need defense and rebounding out of the position. If he can give it great. If he struggles, I think the team ends up struggling a little bit. I think we're both in agreement. I'd rather see Sissoko play because I think long-term he's the guy that gives you more upside. You know what you're going to get from a physicality standpoint. You know what you're going to get from a rebounding standpoint. Marble is not capable of bringing that either of those defensively at the position so ultimately, if Bingham can't step up, we're going to need Sissoko a little bit to help set this floor again because we're going to look more like a top seven team than a top four or five team if the center spot doesn't get figured out. Do you have any agreement, disagreement with that? What's your just general thoughts on that? Uh, you you told the whole story. <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's it's Binger bust or sorry, Binger bust, and then I, I think we got to start looking at giving Sissoko the minutes because he's – He's shown up to this point that he's the capable person coming in behind Bingham. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I I truly do believe at this point in the year, and this could change, but, like, our team is going to live and die by, you know, how our front court comes in um, and shows out each game, um, especially when you look at Bingham and you look at his first matchup against someone like McCormick on Kansas, which we'll get to later. Uh, that is a huge first, like, let's throw you in the fire test. So, Hopefully we'll get to kind of get more answers after Tuesday, um, but it's definitely our most shaky spot right now. Overall thoughts on this team heading into the season. Is there anything else that gives you great concern? Is there anything that you're like, okay, this is really good or heading in the right direction? I know it's very limited. We saw it against lesser competition, but maybe just give me a final wrap up of your thoughts from the team after the first two exhibition games. Yeah, I mean, if I were gonna, if 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 I was gonna share any other concern, I'd probably just say, um, kind of our wing depth, or I guess how we manage that this year. I mean, I think you and I are both in agreement that a lot of that burden is going to be coming on Gabe Brown and Max Christie, and so you have to start to wonder, you know, what is behind that in case we need to dig into that depth. We saw Malik Hall at the three against uh, Grand Valley. He did not. I, I'll look cut you off right there. What did you think of that? I I for one didn't love it, but. He didn't look comfortable, um, and I think maybe that's just a spot where if he knows he's going to be getting that time at the three and Izzo's going to plan for it, you know, maybe these first couple of games won't be looking as as great as maybe they will be in January, February. But I, I, I didn't love it. I mean, I think that if we were to go uh, or I guess look at our wing depth and, and have to adjust lineups, I mean, I, I would rather go smaller and have four or Hall still at the four or the five. Um so comfortability, I didn't really like it that much. But that's my only other concern right now was wing depth. What excites me is I think we've got a lot of talented players who are hungry. I mean, we're coming off a year that was not great, a uh, year without fans. And now it's kind of we're turning a whole new page. We've got, I believe in my mind, three newcomers that are going to be uh, pretty high-profile impact players and Walker, Christie, and then Jade Nakins in a kind of a role player role this year. And I'm just excited because I think we've got a lot of people who are hungry. Um, and I mentioned it before, just a little more solidified guard play. Um, I think that brings should bring a lot of excitement to this fan base. That's a good point that you made about the Hauser and Hall. Like if you're going to have them on the floor together, maybe you just slide off the center spot and then you keep the shooting that's with it. It's almost to me maybe a little bit like the way that Maryland somehow survived in the conference last year. I think that you're going to run into situations where you just can't play those lineups. We saw what Hauser looks like against some of the true centers. You know, I would almost rather see Malik Hall try to body up Williams and Dickinson, some of these guys, than Hauser again, because that was a disaster. Mm -hmm. But I think it gives you some offensive upside. I like the flexibility of, 
you know, maybe adding a little bit more ball pressure. So if you go into that situation, maybe the front court isn't as strong, but you could add Aikens into that mix or you could play the two point guards. So you could maybe get a little bit more ball pressure. So the point of attack is a little bit, you know, tougher to bring up the ball and enter it into the post. I think there's ways that you can kind of massage a little bit around it. We did see the two point guard lineup for a brief stint. It was mostly against the zone, if I remember. I would actually think that this game that we're upcoming against Kansas, because they're going to play two like point guard combo guards, we could see that a little bit. I think Jaden Akins is a guy that might end up getting a little play. We haven't really talked about him, but scoring wise, took a lot of shots, didn't hit a lot of them, but I thought he made just some like his presence known. The first play in the first exhibition game, he ends up coming in and snagging a board. And then on the other side, he got a block. And those were his first two stats that he logged in the column. I love that. You're having mm-hmm. a kid that's 6'3", that's mixing it up in the paint, blocking shots. Like, I just think he's going to give you a little bit of everything. We both were very, very high on him coming into the season. I'm not sure what his offensive role looks like for this team. I think that's going to have to develop during the course of it. But if you're looking at a guy that can come in and kind of be a bit of a ball hawk to give you energy in different spots, he's a nice guy that I think that you can kind of really insert in there and just get some energy and some just good hustle play out of. And those kind of guys were lacking on last year's roster. So it's nice to have that, particularly from a freshman, I think. Agreed. I agree. And he's, he's going to be, I think, you know what he's, you're going to get from him every game he comes in. He's going to bring hustle. You mentioned he's a bit of a ball hawk. He's going to bring that. And there are going to be some scoring opportunities this year where I think he can make things happen. Am I expecting the box score to be jumping when I read his name, no. Um, but I think he's going to be providing you a lot of those hustle stats. Uh, one other thing you mentioned in terms of how we're potentially going to see a little bit more vacants because of Kansas's, uh, you know, usually like to play two, two one guards. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate our roster makeup this year that we're playing in the Big Ten, a league that is known for big men. Um, because there are a lot of good teams outside the Big Ten that are going to be running small ball in the way that I think Izzo should be running it this year. And Kansas is going to be one of those teams. And Kansas is a really good team. But we just happen to play in the Big Ten. Um, so not using that as a crutch, but I think I want to give context to where our team is at. And when we you know, talk about the five spot probably being our weakest point at you know this time in the year, it's not necessarily a bad thing. We've, we've got a lot of great pieces that I think can run with a lot of teams in the country. In big, in big 10 play, it might be a different story. I think my hottest take for this season is going to be that Michigan State, when they get in the tournament, is going to be a way tougher out than they are in the Big Ten Conference. And I think we saw to a certain degree last year, relying on a big man as your primary scoring option didn't particularly work out so well for the Big Ten in the tournament last year. You see different styles of play. You see guys playing small ball lineups where everybody's moving, cutting. There's five out. They're shooting. I think Michigan State could play that way. I just think that the DNA of Tom Izzo teams are so far away from that. He would really struggle getting beat up on the glass, which that's probably my number one concern for this team. Some of the defensive rebounding against you know the, the two exhibition games we had, there would be long shots coming in and long shots coming out. And I didn't love seeing some of that. I think that if Izzo could wrap his mind around giving up some points inside to give you a little bit more versatility offensively, I, I would like that. I just I kind of find it hard to believe that he does that for really extended stretches against certain teams you can. But if you look at the top of the conference this year, Purdue, Illinois and Michigan, they don't really allow you to play that style. And even to a certain degree, you know, uh, Ohio State with Liddell and Young, it just becomes really difficult if you don't have at least a guy that can defend the interior well. And again, it's it's so important why Bingham and, and potentially Sissoko need to fill that role. Because if they can at least have a somewhat plug in the middle, there's enough offense on this team for me where I think that they could be pretty good in some of the extended stretches that they have. Um, let's get let's get into the Kansas matchup. Um, we are going to publish a 3,500-word preview tomorrow. It's got film. You should check it out. Uh, $4 a month, a two-week free trial. We're running a special now to the tip-off. off the year subscript. That's $32 a year. So you can save a little money there if you want. But I would say this is going to be a pretty good barometer for maybe the ceiling of where our team can be in March. This isn't a game that I'm heading into expecting us to win. Kansas is favored by five points. I think I probably personally would be more surprised if we have two minutes to go and we're within that five point 
stretch than if Michigan State was down double digits. I think that Kansas is, you know, a generally old and veteran team for the most part. Jalen Wilson is out with an OWI. I think that's a big loss for them, and we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, but this is a team that returns four starters who played a ton of different minutes. Um, and it was a team that was pretty solid last year. They were just lacking in the backcourt. And now they went out and they upgraded across the board there. They went and grabbed Remy Martin from the Pac-12 at ASU. They went and grabbed Joseph Yesifu from Drake. Um, Dewan Harris, who was in the program and played 60 minutes per game, is going to start this game because of Jalen Wilson's absence. So they have some guards now in the backcourt, and that's going to change a little bit for them. What are just your first thoughts about the Kansas team? What do you see maybe being the most difficult thing for Michigan State to overcome in this matchup? First thing I think about is that although Jalen Wilson's going to be out, they've just got another person right, you know, next in line to plug in. And that's just a huge credit to Kansas's depth. I mean, one could argue that this roster is a bit guard heavy. They're going to be bottlenecked for minutes. But honestly, I think that's a good thing to have because they've got playmakers kind of all across the board. Um, and like you, I don't I don't expect Michigan State to come in to win this game. Um, I would be, I think, by the two-minute mark, surprised if Kansas wasn't up by around six or ten points. Um, but I think, to your point, this is going to be a really good barometer for Michigan State because of just the quality of the team that we're playing. I mean, they've got a plethora of threats from the perimeter. I mean, you mentioned Remy Martin uh, and then other transfer, Joseph Yesifu, who I just think is going to be uh, kind of the hidden gem steal of the portal for Bill Self. Um, everyone's kind of looking at Remy Martin, but Yesifu, I mean, finished last year just on fire. 23.2 uh, points per game in his last nine. Had a great showing in March Madness. Um, I think he can bring kind of a, Dynamic that this Kansas offense was kind of missing last year. Um, and that's kind of what they're filling in Remy Martin Yesifu. Uh, we mentioned uh, Dewan Harris. I think he's like their most composed guard. I think he's the best with the ball. He's kind of a natural uh, primary playmaker at that spot. Um, and then David McCormick down low. I mean, Kansas always seems to have a big man who can just kind of torment teams inside. Um, I, I mean, last year, 13-4 points per game, 6.1 boards, a block. Um, he looked pretty good in their uh, lone exhibition um, and against Emporia State, I believe. Um, but he can be someone who I, I think if Bingham is not on his game can be causing a lot of trouble. Um, and good luck if you get him to the line because he's also, also shooting 81% from there. Uh, so it's a well-rounded team. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say Kansas has one lone you know, man uh, kind of superstar, but they're loaded and chock full of talent across the board. That's true. And let's just kind of we'll go position by position because you touched on a few of them. We'll just make it easy. So the starting lineup, what we'll see uh, uh, Tuesday, I almost said tomorrow night, I've jumped forward today. That would have been nice. Um, Dewan Harris, 16 minutes per game, not a guy that took a ton of shots. I think he ended up taking just over 50 shots last season total. So you don't really know what you're going to get from him from beyond the arc, from inside the field. Like you alluded to, he's a guy that they've spoken really high about in the offseason, a guy that they think that can just come in and give them a natural playmaker, run the offense. They didn't have that last year. They had Marcus Garrett, who was almost like similar to Aaron Henry, put into a position where he was playing outside of a role. He was asked to be the primary creator when really he was best probably utilized as a secondary option. He was forced into that role because of the lack of a point guard spot and self very similar to Izzo went out and tried to address that in the portal. Um, the guy that we mentioned and to me is maybe the skeleton key, as I alluded to in the article that can unlock the potential for this season for Kansas is Remy Martin, uh, second leading scorer in the pack 12 last year, year before that, he was the leading scorer, 19 points per game. He's a guy that's a walking bucket. What we hope maybe that Tyson Walker can give us in terms of some of the electric dynamic, quick twitch scoring Remy Martin has done it and he's done it at the pack 12, you know, level four years running, particularly the last two. So he's a guy that I think can catch fire. He's also a guy that can shoot them out of it a little bit. There's been an interesting dynamic already between Self and Martin. It's been discussed. I think that had Wilson not gotten the OWI, which is going to take him out of this game, I think it was a possibility that Dewan Harris might have started anyways. I guess in the exhibition game, uh, they started a walk-on or something over Martin because he's really trying to emphasize to him what the expectations are for this team. 
it almost reminds me to a certain degree of what I thought the Rocket Watts and Tom Izzo experiment with gone if Rocket Watts was capable of actually giving buckets on a consistent basis and Tom was going to have to make a decision like, do I let this kid shoot 15 to 18 shots a game? And some some games he's going to score 25 points and other nights he's not. And we never really got to saw that. We saw that in flashes against Duke and Michigan. Uh, but generally speaking, that was kind of the same interesting experiment. Obviously, Remy Martin has done this at a higher level at the Pac-12. So this transition and trying to break him from the mold of what he is to make sure he assimilates into Kansas is going to be a very interesting experiment the entire season. If it goes well, uh, Kansas is a national contender, which they may be anyways. Um, If it doesn't go well, maybe they're more of a, you know, two or three seed and a team that could make an elite eight or make a sweet 16, but not a team to actually get over the hump and make another final four. So the backcourt is interesting. Those are the two guys you're going to see in the start. Let's just start right there with the matchup because coming into this, I think Michigan State had like a very easy, clear one through five, who's guarding who. But with the addition of Dewan Harris into the starting lineup and the two-guard lineup, Max Christie is now going to be asked to either guard Remy Martin, who, as I described to you, six-foot, lightning quick, one of the best all-around just natural off-the-dribble scorers, or he's going to be asked to guard Dewan Harris at the point guard spot, which is a completely different ask than to guard the wing or to guard an off-ball guy. Is is that what you see? I think I would probably lean towards Tyson Walker guarding Martin because I just think that their quickness matches up better. Are you comfortable with Max Christie playing at the point of attack if that is what happens on Tuesday? Comfortable? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, excited, maybe. Yes. A little antsy about it. Sure. Uh, playing the point of attack at MSG for your first regular season game. Uh, yeah. I mean, this this I mean, this game for a lot of people is we're going to throw you in the fire and see how you how you deal with it. And I think Christie is in one of those players in those spots. Um, I, I do see our defensive matchup going that way. I just don't see how you can not have Walker guard Remy Martin. And I think uh, with Dwan Harris, you're getting a, I think, a little bit more of a cushion just because he's not going to be a primary scorer, um, and so that might kind of ease Christie into into this position. Um, but I don't see it going any other way. I, I would say I'm uh, I'm nervous slash excited to see how this goes, um, but I, I would say that's the matchup that we would have to come out with. I would be surprised otherwise. If you're asking Max Christie to guard Remy Martin game one, I think that the dribble penetration is going to begin very early on in the night. I think Michigan State may end up having as part of the chess match to go to two guard lineups themselves and maybe match some of that. Tyson Walker and Hogard together. Jaden Aikens coming in to give you some of that. Um, I think, you know, again, you're throwing that guy into the fire, asking him to guard one of those two. He needs to be able to show, particularly on the defensive side, he can hang because he's a guy that maybe could play 12 or 15 minutes per game or 12 or 15 minutes this game. If he shows like the first two minutes that he can hang on the perimeter defensively, if he's hawking the ball and it's causing problems, he's going to earn minutes this game because they absolutely need that. I, I think that the flip side of the equation is if they go that route, is Max Christie going to be guarded by Dewan Harris or Remy Martin? because I really like the other side of the coin. And that's the flip side that we see. Yes. I'm a little bit worried. You're asking the guard, the point of attack, you know, if he gets leaky on there, but he is five inches bigger than Dewan Harris. Dewan Harris is six one. He's, you know, he's physical. He's a decent size, but not like over the top. And so if he can stay in front of him and use his length to bother him. And then on the flip side, you're getting a guy that's got five plus inches to be able to shoot over. I think that I really, really actually like that matchup. I just don't know if like running him ragged on the point guard spot is ideal for his offensive output, which needs to be pretty high. So there's a balance that has to be struck there. But I think that that that's the matchup. If I'm looking at all of them up and down the board, besides the Bingham versus McCormick, the one that I'm going to point to where I'm like, maybe this is the linchpin on how this game goes and on how he can defend and also how they can defend him on the other side of it. Uh, the next guys in the starting lineup on the wing, wing forward spot. Typically they would start three wings, as we said, Oche Abaji is the guy that probably is the one we got to be most concerned about. He is an extremely good set shooter. He shot uh, just under 38% from deep last season on extremely high volume. He's a guy that's begun to get more comfortable as a movement shooter. So coming off screens, he, he gets plays run for him and he's moving on the perimeter, catching into shots. 
He's not a guy that's really ever going to put the ball on the deck. So for me, maybe the most sense that makes is Gabe Brown because you're just asking Gabe to run through screens and to get a hand up on shots and using maybe some of his size and length is probably the makes the most sense in that compliment. Maybe we see some Malik Hall on him as well. Um, Obaji's, Obaji led the team in scoring this last season for them. He, he's a very, very good player. He's not a guy that is maybe like a for certain first rounder and maybe Kansas doesn't quite have that on this roster, but he's a guy that flirted with the NBA, ended up coming back. I think that they want to win. Part of that is they they wanted to come back and win after kind of a lackluster finish to last season. So he's a guy that if he gets hot from deep, I am concerned about it. But it's, it's at least nice knowing that if they're able to contain him a little bit on the perimeter, which Michigan State actually was pretty decent at last year, that they have a pretty good shot of kind of making him one-dimensional because he's not a guy that can put it on the deck. The guy he's going to play next to, Christian Braun, he's like 6'7", you know, 210 pounds, I think. He's, he's pretty stocky. But in terms of lateral foot speed, I think him and Hauser are pretty, like, compatible there. It's, it's not a guy that you probably want guarding, you know, quicker guys in space. And the same thing goes with Hauser. He's a good, not great shooter. He took a lot of volume over his career. He shot, I think, 37%. But last year he was like right around 35%, a little bit under it. So he's a guy that you got to watch for on the perimeter. But again, not somebody that really puts it on the deck. So you just need to protect the three-point line and then, you know, kind of live with it. Both the wings are very good rebounders. This team is a very good rebounding team generally. Uh, from that position. So that's something to watch for. Uh, what do you think about the two of those matchups? And then obviously it's Bingham versus McCormick. Which matchup stands up most to you? What do you think is the matchup that maybe Michigan State can take advantage of? Maybe it's not, I mean, well, maybe this is not taking advantage of, but I do think both of those matchups are pretty favorable if you have Gabe Brown on a Chabi and then you have um, Joey Hauser on Brown. Uh, you said it. I mean, Achabi's not going to score beating you off the dribble or going straight to the basket. He's a really, really good set shooter, and he's going to find it um, when other people are setting up the shot for him. And so if you're Gabe Brown, like you said, your biggest task is staying with him and getting your length in front of his face. Um, I think if we can limit Achabi there, uh, I mean, last year he averaged 14.1 points a game, and I thought he was one of the, their more steady players. If we can keep him quiet on Tuesday, um, I think that is a good sign um, because he can be one of those silent assassins that you don't really kind of see explode out your screen. But before you know it, he has, you know, 12, 14 points. I think Brown, on the other hand, is kind of a similar type of player in different ways. I mean, we mentioned their rebounding last year. He had 5.2 a game. He knows how to get in spots, and I think he can be a good disruptor, especially when he's uh, really crashing the glass and making things a bit annoying for opposing teams. Um, when he's on, he can catch, and again, he can get 9 to 10 points a game uh, before you know it. He averaged 9.7 last year. But I do think having Hauser on him is going to be the play, and you mentioned it. It's his quickness and footwork. It's it's just a it's it's not quite where his you know peers are on the floor and so he's going to be the guy you have to single out in terms of who is our perhaps weakest defender and let's put him on um put him on brown if we contain those two players on the wings if we limit their shots and we don't give them anything easy um i think that's probably the best thing that we can be asking for because they're not there are not a lot of other ways that they can kill us and I think that probably speaking to the position of limiting the wings, it probably goes a little bit to containing the backcourt because, as we said, neither of those guys are really shot creators for themselves off the dribble. I think that the trio actually did not shoot very well from like inside the arc but not at the rim. Decent at the rim, but they, they had trouble getting there themselves. So if those guys aren't going to be able to, you know, put the ball on the deck to be able to create it, they're going to rely on the two guards to be able to do that. Remy Martin has to be able to show that for Kansas to kind of reach again their ceiling this year. Dewan Howers is maybe a little bit more of a table setting guy. What can he be offensively? That's the question mark for them. But if you can contain that backcourt, if you can make Remy Martin inefficient, which is very possible, uh, 50% of his games last year, he had three turnovers or more. So he is a guy that can get into a pace where he's a little bit frenetic and you can turn him over. You can make him a high volume shooter where he's taking contested mid-range pull-up twos. If you're doing that, I think that that's a success. If he, if he makes those, you tip your cap and you said, 
we did our best on this. We, we prevented from the three-point line, and we prevented a lot of the penetration all the way to the rim. We forced them into tough twos, and if they beat you by taking tough twos, you tip the cap and say, there it is. Um, I think you spoke to it earlier, but Joseph Yesifu is interesting to me. He hasn't been a guy that's been spoken about a ton with some of their rotation because they are so deep and he went out and got so many guys. But he's a guy, like you said, that can get hot from the bench, a microwave guy. So ultimately, because of Wilson's absence, it's, it's very highly possible we see mostly two-guard lineups for Kansas this game. And because of that, Michigan State is going to be able to show some of their own flexibility, which I think is going to be good for just the general outlook in the season. If we run into a team that has two very talented backcourt pieces, how is Michigan State going to adapt? Is Christie capable of guarding that? Are they capable of guarding him? Can you bring in an Aikens off the bench and give you some minutes? Can you play Tyson Walker next to A.J. Holgard? These are some of maybe the bigger questions that Michigan State is going to face during the course of the season. So to be able to get some at least data from this game against a high, high-level point, a, a team that's ranked in the top three and is, has national championship aspirations – there's really no better measurement for this season. And I get after this, you know, Purdue Saturday loss, it's going to be tough. If Michigan State comes out and loses by double digits, you know, Twitter's going to be rough. But everyone needs to keep their chin up because this is a pretty tough non-conference schedule. There are going to be some L's along the way. But I really, really like some of the pieces that, that we get to see this year. I'm just excited to see it. So you spoke about containing the wing. I spoke about containing the backcourt. Maybe the third biggest piece, again, it goes just back to Bingham. And I, I hate to put so much pressure on the center spot, but it does feel to a certain extent that maybe the floor of this team is reliant to some degree on getting some type of consistent play out of it. I think the ceiling can completely be determined about where the backcourt goes and the heights that the wing can take them. But the floor of this team, because of the conference we play in, as we spoke about, really, really needs Bingham to be good. What do you think generally, if, if David McCormick was in the Big Ten Conference, where do you think that you would have him kind of ranked among the centers? And then what does that maybe speak to if Bingham can, you know, make him inefficient or control him or, you know, make him score 12 points, but he had to take 12 shots to get it, something like that. Is that the best possible outcome for that scenario? Yeah, I mean, I I think the best possible outcome is limiting yeah, limiting his production. It's not, I don't think we should expect Bingham to completely shut that, shut him down because I think McCormick is, is going to find his spots and he's going to capitalize on him. Um, but I, I think it's asking Bingham, Bingham to be providing, hopefully, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of solid and sound defense, a few blocks, a different, a few different possessions where he's kind of causing a little havoc for McCormick and just staying in his face. Um, I, I think if you were to see a center like David McCormick in the Big Ten, I would potentially have him in uh, kind of probably a top of tier two, maybe like bottom of tier one. I wouldn't place him with like a Hunter Dickinson or Kofi Coburn, but you could potentially argue that he could be in the spot with, you know, someone like a Travion Williams or Trace Jackson Davis. Um, and so as we know, playing those guys in the big 10, the expectation shouldn't be whether we completely shut him down or not. It's how do we limit him to where he doesn't kill us at the end of the day, uh, which as we've seen in the past could happen or could not. Um, he's going to get his, I, I think he's going to get somewhere around 12 to 14 points on Tuesday. Um, but 12 to 14 points compared to potentially 18 to 20 and 10 rebounds and a couple blocks is a big difference. It's a huge difference. And, you know, for those who don't know, David McCormick, 6'10", 250, not like a, a great post game. He's got like a little baby hook over the left shoulder with the right hand. He's a guy that can go up over top of the lobs. I wouldn't say he's like, you know, excitingly athletic, both vertically or laterally, but he's a tough physical dude that's going to give you a really good test for Bingham game one to see what is this going to look like in the Big Ten. And again, if you're looking up and down, the benefits of playing such a good team this early on in the season is to really give yourself like a, a yardstick measurement seeing, okay, where are we and what are the things that we can see that we can improve upon that can get better? That's what I'm most maybe excited to see. I want to just briefly talk about just the style of play of Kansas. Um, you know, I guess the good news if you're a Kansas fan is you return, like we said, four starters. The bad news is the core that they brought back 
was not particularly great. They finished 54th overall in Ken Palm's offensive uh, metric, which was one of the worst that he had in his tenure. Um, they ended up being 80th in turnover efficiency, 173rd in three-point shooting, 207th in two field goal scoring. Like This just wasn't a very good team offensively at all. Again, you upgraded some of the backcourt pieces, so maybe some of the rest of that opens up for you. But is this a team that's a top 10 offense this year? Eh, top 15 to 20, I can probably see with the additions that they've made. But this is a team that probably is going to have to lean more on their defense than their offense. So this could be a game that maybe gets mucked up a little bit for Michigan State. Again, I think that Michigan State's going to be forced to play in the half court a little bit. And I think ideally Michigan State's going to make Kansas do that too because you don't want those wings getting loose for open looks on the perimeter and transition. So both teams, I think, are going to be ultra aware of the ability of the other team to wanting to get out and run and making them play. So I think this game, in a large respect, is going to come down to who can execute uh, the offense better in the half court. Uh, that's a little – it's a big ask for Michigan State with a brand-new point guard and a sophomore point guard who didn't play very well. So we'll see what that looks like for them. But I want to see some of the pieces heading in the right direction. If Max Christie can score 14 or 15 points against Kansas – he can do it against anybody in the country. If Gabe Brown can knock down shots, grab boards, and do his role consistently, he can do it against anybody in the country. And this is a big spot. We didn't really speak about it, but part of the reason why Tyson Walker came to Michigan State was to play in a game like this. Madison Square Garden, under the bright lights, the premier opening event of college hoops. You don't get chances like that at Northeastern. He got recruited by Bill Self. I think this might be a game where he finally just – lets his hair down, and plays out of his mind. And that's what I'm excited for. If you give me an A game out of Christie and Walker for what this team can be, and you get an idea of what the ceiling of that backcourt can be game one, I'm all on board. You can you can lose. That's probably what's going to happen. That's okay. As long as we're seeing the pieces in the right direction. What do you feel about that? What are you most excited all around for for this game upcoming? I agree. You said it perfectly. If you are listening to this and you're still deciding what your expectations for Tuesday should be, if anything, don't come into Tuesday with expectations around a win or a loss. Come with expectations around what you're going to see from this team when they're on the big stage against one of the country's best. And David just spoke to it. How are, you know, how are newcomers like Tyson Walker and, and Max Christie going to respond to this moment? This is why Walker wanted to be here. Are we going to see him get more into kind of the aggressive scoring prototype that we need? Um, is Christie going to come continue to come out and, and show that he is the man? Um, and he's, is he going to do it composed? I think what I've really liked about him the last two games, or I guess the two exhi exhibition games he played is uh, he, he kind of knew that he had the green light for shots and he scored. Um, but there wasn't a time where I thought he was feeling the pressure of that. It all came naturally. He looked like he was ready for the spot. Tuesday is a whole nother level. Are you ready for this spot? Um, and how do you, yeah, how do you play and respond to that? Um, and so if I were to say anything, this is just going to be a huge barometer for, you know, where this team is currently at, where this identity of this team is kind of forming and coming to be. Um, and kind of what are still the gaps we're, you know, looking to address or fill as we go through the non-con. Um, but I wouldn't go into this game expecting, you know, or thinking about a win, win or a loss. I would be coming into this game expecting, um, you know, what are the positives we can be taking away from this? Um, which is honestly probably the thing I'm most excited for. I mean, in my mind, this is a roster that is pretty shaken up from last year. And just to be completely honest, that's a good thing. You know, that's exciting. We are trying something new. We are not, you know, we're not trying to run it back again. Um, I am happy that over the last couple of years, Izzo's been a little more lenient towards the portal. And we can see that, uh, I guess, see what that process looks like on Tuesday against Kansas. So a couple of new pieces, new faces. We got some veterans returning and coming back. I think I'm most excited for how this team responds. Again, I think it's going to be a loss, but if this team shows out for 40 minutes, that's a great sign for us. You spoke a little bit to the possible identity of this team. And I think that's a great question because I haven't given quite a hundred percent thought on what the end identity looks like. What do you think? Let's maybe start with this premise. 
do you feel more comfortable about the offense over the defensive ceiling for this team? Offense for sure. Um, right. I, yes. Okay. I'm, I'm in the same boat with you, right? So if we're talking about what can the identity of this team end up being, to me, it's one of maybe the top three or four shooting teams in the conference. I think they're going to need to rely on some of that shooting to be able to carry a lot of the load. If you're looking at maybe Hauser, Christie, and Brown combination, I think it's very possible that all three of those guys shoot 38 plus percent from deep. Maybe both, maybe both Hauser and Brown return back to 40 percent. And I think Christie can be pretty close to that, somewhere between 36 to 40. I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility for them. So what what can this team do to ensure that they're getting the best shots for those guys, both in transition and in the half court? Again, it goes back to the point guard spot where you're going to need Walker to really wheel and deal in the pick and roll situations. I would like to see them just, just do what they did to a certain degree with Cassius Winston. Nick Ward goes down with the hand injury. Xavier Tillman gets inserted in the lineup. And I know we don't quite have the high-level screener that we did, but I do think both Bingham and Sissoko can be better used as a lob threat with Walker's ability to get downhill. So if you have that piece and you're running a pick and roll in the middle and Walker is just getting screen after screen and making decisions for the open shooters on the floor, the guys that can all shoot 40%, to me that's a recipe to have a top four or five offense in the conference. And yeah, you're going to take your lumps down in the paint sometimes, particularly with the center spot that we have. But if you can be a little bit tough and you can hit timely shots, particularly from the perimeter, it feels like this team is maybe going to have to form their identity and just being a very, very good shooting and offensive oriented team. Is that kind of where you would see maybe the identity of this team heading? Yeah, I agree. And it's kind of weird to say because I think it's going to look or it needs to look a whole lot different than it was last year in terms of how that comes out. But shooting definitely is is one of those pieces, especially from yeah our backcourt and our wings. I mean, uh, around 40% shooting uh, our two exhibition games, which is uh, from deep, which is really good to see. Um, but it's going to have to come um, through that avenue, through strong guard play, and then kind of just sustaining the depth or I guess lack of depth we have at the wing. Um, I, I, we're going to take our lumps in the conference. That's going to happen. But you mentioned it earlier. I think this is going to be a team that when it all clicks and when said identity kind of comes into place, can kind of go in our bag, make a run, and, and then surprise a few people. I mean, this is a team that I think if we reach our ceiling, has a good formula to make a run to the second weekend, um, playing for a shot uh, to extend, you know, their tournament. So I, I think that's the ceiling. And I think that's kind of where we need to kind of uh, head or I guess gear towards uh, to, to, to reach it. Okay. Well, before we get out of here today, I want to ask you a couple of just uh, tough questions about, about a couple mm. spots and then uh, season expectations before we get out of here. So Second leading score. I think we both probably agree that Christie is likely to lead the team in scoring, but maybe if you have a different version, uh, you can address that. But who would you say is going to be the second leading guy in this team? I think it's going to be Gabe Brown. And I, I say that kind of mm. putting a lot of my trust in, you know, everything kind of coming together for Gabe Brown, kind of much in the same way, or I guess in a similar circumstance as it needs to come together for Marcus Bingham. I mean, they are, you know, same draft class. We kind of had, I think, expectations of what, you know, they can could have developed into or could be. And this is the year, I think, where we see if it comes together. I think year by year, Gabe Brown has done better. I think not disappearing as much. I think being a little more consistent. His shooting efficiency is, you know, off the charts, 61.5 or 0.2%. But you just don't see him as uh, I guess being as aggressive as he needs to be uh I think he is a little kind of rigid when he does kind of have the ball looking to make a play so this is the year I think he kind of takes his captaincy you know in full stride he kind of steps up realizing he's gonna have to be one of the two strong foundational bases on the wing um and I, you know I think he shows that a little bit more than he did previous years uh, when it comes to the box score if he's the second leading scorer how many points per game is he scoring 12. 
That's probably uh, where I was said it. When you were talking the whole time, that's kind of where it's in my mind. I, I Do you think it's fair that this team ends up with four double-digit scores and that they're all somewhere maybe between 10 to 14 points and maybe Christie could even stretch that out closer to 15, but somewhere within there? That's that's kind of my hope, and it's it, it seems like it, it's a realistic ask. I mean, you've got Christie who's going to be your leading scorer, and you can stretch those numbers a bit. I mean, maybe 15. Um, Gabe Brown, I mentioned 12, and then kind of right around there, I would expect Tyson Walker, Walker and Joey Hauser. If we can yeah. get those four guys to be averaging double figures a game, I think that puts us in a pretty decent spot. I agree with that. Leading rebounder for the team. I think it's going to be Joey Hauser again, uh, much to the chagrin of how much I want to push Bingham to get boards. But like we said, if he can be getting us six to seven boards a game, I, you know, that's, that's a lot better than his previous years. Uh, Gabe Brown, I'd like to be seeing getting better board or more boards, but I, I don't think he's going to get more than Hauser. Um, Hauser, I think has, I think he can't, I think he proved it last year with the, the numbers that he got. I don't see Sissoko playing the type of minutes to com- compete with that. Um, eight, eight boards a game. Last year, we asked the same question. I think I said a high number. You so did. I don't you know said it way I, too high. And I, think I don't know he, if I want to curse that. Who was Were they both? Both him and Henry were right around six, I want to say. And I think Henry had maybe one or two more rebounds during the season, but Hauser was right there and obviously played significantly less minutes. So, I mean, that's one thing that maybe you look at and you're like, Hauser's an awful defender. He's actually a really good defensive rebounder, and it's it's just a knack to finding the ball. Maybe some of it is because he's already been shoved so far under the rim, it just falls in his hands. But I actually think, you know, all jokes aside, that he he's a pretty good defensive rebounder, and for a team that needs it, absolutely needs it this year with Aaron Henry gone, um, I, I agree with you on that. What do you think – what do you think that this team ends up in the conference rankings? And I guess give me a best case and worst case scenario for this team in the Big Ten conference where they finish. Best case scenario, four or five, maybe four. I'll say four. Best case scenario, fourth. Um, I don't – yeah, I mean, I don't know if if this is a team right now that can – finish higher than uh, Purdue, finish higher than Illinois or Michigan. Um, But I do think this is a team that can definitely push to get as close to that first tier as they can. Realistically, I would probably say fifth. Um, And then if we're looking at worst case scenario, I I think if the Bingham situation plays out the way that I don't want it to play out, if I think Christy kind of struggles to get, you know, his firm grasp as elite guy, if I think Tyson Walker struggles either with his shot or being aggressive, there could be some trouble, especially in conference play could be say closer to the bottom of tier two, maybe seventh or eighth, but I don't yeah. think it's that wide of a window. I, I don't think a, you know, worst case scenario would be in the cellar because I think this team has too much talent for that. Um, yeah. So somewhere in the near closer to the bottom of tier two, I'd say. How many guys does Michigan State get on the all-conference team this year? On any of them? So one through three. Last year, they only got one. I was going to say, say two. It's where I lean two. And maybe we don't get one on the first two teams, but I could see them maybe getting two guys on the third team. If Max Christie ends up averaging 15 points per game in the conference play as a freshman, um, I think he has a really good chance to win Big Ten freshman of the year. I think it's between him, Caleb Houston, uh, maybe Trey McGowan's from Nebraska. If Nebraska maybe surprises some teams this year, I've been more I've kind of looked at them, the more maybe I'm thinking they have some upside to maybe flirt with the tourney bid. I don't know if they get there all the way because the front court's pretty rough for them, but the the back court is much better. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that that's probably fair. And who would you lean then? Would you say it's going to be Gabe Brown or uh, Joey Hauser or Tyson Walker? If you were taking that second person on the team, would you, would you have to stick with your guns and go Gabe? Yeah, I have to stick with my guns and go Gabe with this one, but I wouldn't be surprised if that second name was Joey Hauser either. Um, uh, you know, I, I just have this feeling. I think he can I think he's going to be a little more comfortable this year. I do think defensively he's still going to struggle, but I think he's going to find more of his spots offensively. I think he's going to provide those rebounding numbers for us. 
Um, and so the, I think that could be enough to propel him to the third team. I agree with you on Christie as well. There's no way you can't you. There's no way you can leave him off uh, an all-conference team if he's averaging 15 points a game as a freshman. If I set the over assist for Tyson Walker throughout the season at four assists per game, you taking the over or under? I'll take the under. I'll take the under, but just by a little bit. I think he's a good playmaker, and I think his vision's actually a lot better than I think what we've talked about so far, what people give him credit for. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I have a feeling that's just going to be a little bit under. I would go over if you could guarantee me 25 minutes per game, but I think that, you know, it's going to be a shakeout between him and Hogard for at least maybe the first 10 games of the season. So, you know, I think between the two of them that they can really have a nice assist to turnover ratio. Um, you know, Hogard struggled a little bit, like I said, with turning the ball over last year, but I think this year he he's going to get better with that because he's just more comfortable with the offense. Mm. And to me, Walker just has the ability to, take a dribble or two and, and go from first to third gear. And all of a sudden he's got open space to be able to kick to shooters and, and find the open guy. So I think that he could do it. I just don't know, you know, this is going to be, you know, the old saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you have zero quarterbacks. So that's the only right. thing maybe that I'm going to keep my eye on the most the first 10 games of the season. I really would like to see them push towards at least a 24, 25 minute, to 15 minute split. So we're getting that. And maybe, maybe Hogar plays a couple extra minutes, but he's playing next to Walker, right? I want to see Walker right. at least play 25 minutes per game, you know, at the point guard spot. So, um, and then I guess last but not least, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what is the overall tournament ceiling for this team? You said that maybe you thought that they could make a sweet 16. Is this a team capable of somehow putting magic together and making the final four, or is it just way too early to tell? And we got to wait and see a little bit. Is is saying it's too early to tell copping out on the answer or I got my answer. That's the question. That's a tough question without seeing them against real competition and seeing how it comes together. So I gave you an out if you want to take it. I'll say that I'll, I'll share the ceiling. I think the ceiling is the second weekend, either the sweet 16 or elite eight. And like we talked about before, I, this team does have the makeup. And I think the types of players and talent um, that might not be as effective or conducive in the big 10, but could put together some wins um, in non-conference play. And I think we might see a little bit of that before we get into conference play this year with, you know, maybe potentially um, seeing how some of these kind of small ball lineups work for us. Um, but I would say that's the ceiling. I think it's too early to tell for a final four, but again, I, I think it all hinges, unfortunately, and I hate that he has this pressure, but it really does hinge on Bingham for me. It hinges on how he can anchor, especially defensively. Um, cause if he can show out, you know, not even to the extent he showed up against Grand Valley, but if he can kind of match that type of hustle and play and performance, and do it night in and night out, I'm feeling a lot better. Um, but I think there are just too many question marks right now. Ask me after Kansas, and I think we can talk about it a little bit more. Okay, I will. <laughs> All right. Uh, again, thank you guys so much. We're just hitting around the hour mark here. So article will be dropping tomorrow. I, this podcast might not get out till Tuesday. Maybe we'll play that so that the article comes out and people can get a little brushed up and then they can hear us speak about it if they don't want to do that. So maybe we'll drop that either tomorrow afternoon or we'll drop this in the morning on Tuesday to get people excited. But uh, season's around the corner. And if you were like me and Dan, who just absolutely agonized over an absolutely brutal season, the worst that we possibly could have seen probably in the last 20 plus years. I mean, maybe the toughest that we've seen in a long, long while fans are back in the stands. I am locking in tickets and I think Dan is also maybe in the boat. We're going to go see Butler at Hinkle field house. Like there's a lot of reasons to be excited getting back into the Breslin center. I just think this is going to be a much better year, whether we take a couple L's during the non-conference or not. This is a team that should be very, very exciting. It's a team that I think can grow together as the year comes on. And I think it's a team that's going to surprise some people when we get into February and March. And maybe they're going to be a team that's, you know, a five or six seed when they hit the tournament. But they're a team that nobody's going to want to see. And I think that's, you know, hopefully the case. Make the, make the second weekend this year. Somehow hold on to Max Christie. I don't know if he's only going to play one year. But if for some reason you can get him two years, 
and you find a way to bring at least Gabe Brown back and run back most of this roster with adding Trey Holloman and Jackson Kohler, I think I, I think there would be a lot to be excited about heading to next year. This can kind of be a building block foundation. A lot can happen this season. Who knows what goes, but I'm excited, man. I really am excited. So thanks again so much for coming on. It was an extreme pleasure, my friend. Of course. Pleasure to be on. Let's get it rolling. All right. Go green. Go white. <laughs>